0: Welcome to the ARPA Animal Rescue of the Week podcast, featuring outstanding organizations around the country that are helping animals and the people who rescue them. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Dubert.com. Dubert is a free website designed to connect volunteers with rescues and shelters, and the only site that automates rescue relay transport. Let's meet this week's featured animal rescue. In 2014 after diana webster received a call from her cousin asking why she was volunteering to help dogs in mexico and not helping the reservation dogs in northern minnesota the native america humane society was formed diana a california attorney knew from her family and from her work with the tribal justice systems at the tribal law and policy institute that native people on reservations and in urban communities still lacked access to resources and help for their families and their pets despite recent economic development through gaming. Hey Diana, welcome to the show.
1: Hey Rachel, thank you so much. I'm so impressed by the work that you're trying to do.
0: Yeah, thank you. We, uh, we are definitely impressed by the work that you're doing, so why don't we get started and you just tell us a little bit about you and your organization.
1: The Native American Humane Society came about after I had been working in Mexico with uh, helping stray dogs and cats there. Um, I was in law school and I'm a second career attorney and I was in law school and we went on vacation and um, stayed at one of those luxury resorts off the uh, the beautiful uh, sea of Cancun area. and um, we ventured out of the luxury resort and went into town and ran across a stray dog and the stray dog was this mommy dog who had probably recently given birth and she was skin and bones. Um, and it really struck me. I, I had one of those epiphanies in my life that, wow, I need to really do something to, um, to help these animals, because as I as I started looking around, there were more and more animals like that. So I had not really been involved in animal welfare um, or advocacy at that point, but I went back, finished up law school, and made a promise to myself that I, when I was done with law school, I would go back and help. And that's what I did. I worked with various organizations in Mexico, all the amazing people who are trying to make a difference for pets in Mexico. They are so impressive. Um, and while I was doing that, I was, you know, uh, posting pictures on Facebook and talking about the work I was doing, and sharing all the information. And I got a call from my cousin who happens to live on a reservation in northern Minnesota, and um, she said, Hey, cuz, <laughs> I see you helping all these dogs in Mexico, but why aren't you helping reservation dogs or res dogs sure. as we call them? Um, my family is from the White Earth Reservation in northern Minnesota. where Anishinaabe people, um, and I have cousins all throughout um, the reservations in Minnesota and Wisconsin. Um, so I'm very deeply connected to my heritage. And um, I also grew up knowing and seeing reservation dogs who were not really in the best shape either, but for some reason I had kind of put myself in a bubble. And I I think a lot of us live in a a little bit of a bubble and then it takes one dog or one animal or or one child that needs help that pops that bubble and kind of spurs us into action. So I always think of this dog in Mexico as my angel, who kind of pointed me the way to a new um, new path in my life. And so that got me started thinking, um, I' been uh, I had focused my legal career in tribal law. And so I had a quite a, a wide network of uh, people at different tribal nations across the country. Um, There are over 567 federally recognized tribes in the United States and Alaska, and there are uh, over 325 reservations in the United States. So I was uh, taking a poll amongst my colleagues, and I was saying, you know, when I grew up, there were always, you know, reservation dogs, res dogs that needed help on the reservation. Is that still the case? and having traveled to a lot of the communities i i saw that it was the case but i wanted to make sure before i moved forward with the organization if there was still the need and um they said oh yeah you know you know every every res has res dogs so i kind of had another you know slap on the forehead v 8 moment that here i am have a little bit of grounding in animal advocacy from my work in Mexico, and here I am, a tribal member who has a network of people at reservations. Um, Maybe I should put these two things together and um, create an organization that can address this challenge for our animals and our communities. So that's how it started. It kind of was a process and uh, it uh, all seemed Somewhat meant to be, and um, I, I followed my gut. Yeah,
0: you know that's, it's a very interesting backstory, and and often we learn that that's how people fall into animal rescue, right? And right. And that's just it; it's never planned. People just there's something that happens in their life that compels them to want to help. Um, and, and I'm glad to see that you're no different in that regard. Um, really, that's how we get passionate people involved, right, who are really willing to sacrifice and, and make the changes that are needed for the animals out there. So, great story. Thanks for sharing with us. Um, yes. So, I want to I ask, uh, not, so you've been doing this for four years, um, and and I can guess at what makes you different from other shelters, right, probably in, in if we focused on just the state in, in Minnesota. So, are there key pieces for you that you understand and recognize that, that make you stand out from other shelters?
1: Yes, and and first of all, we, we are actually not a shelter. We are uh, more of a bridge to animal care, um, is like okay. is how we like to put it. Because there's no way uh, in view of the scope of the work that we have to do that we can uh, have a single location at this point Um, our goal and mission is actually to be that bridge to connect tribal communities to services existing services around them and be be the person who goes in and meets the groups that are helping and meets the tribal community and understands their needs and then and bridges that and puts it together and we've been Pretty successful doing that. Uh, We have a program that's been going on since 2015 at the Pueblo of Laguna in New Mexico. Um, We were fortunate enough to be connected to uh, the ABMA, the American Veterinary Medical Association, uh, has a program called Reaching Up, which stands for Reaching Underserved Populations, and they have uh, a mission to bring their veterinarians and um, their knowledge and their resources to a community, an underserved community that lacks veterinary care. So we connected with them and connected with the Pueblo Laguna where I went to the tribal council and talked about um, what we were um, able to do, what we would be able to do and got their permission and uh, got their input and their feedback and we put it all together to make it happen uh now they um i think they're going on their 10th clinic so it really is um it really is our our focus to leverage all the resources that are already existing so we try to fill the gap where uh because a lot of the communities um, our tribal communities are located in rural areas or in parts of cities that don't necessarily have um easy access to veterinary services or the economic power to access the veterinary services. Um, One thing I like to make really clear to people when we're talking about our work is that there's this perception out there that because of tribal gaming, because of the big casinos we see at many, many, many tribes that all of our communities are very flush with money now and that we're doing really well and we're all millionaires because we're all getting a piece of that money. But that is not the case. Um, The standard of living is coming up in our communities, but it's slow and like any process, especially with business, it takes a while for all that money to filter down. Um, It certainly has been a benefit and certainly is um, helpful because prior to that, we we had really no um, opportunities for economic development or few opportunities for economic development. That's but true. but still, um, having said that, because of that um, gap and because nobody was able to pay for veterinary services, nothing organically grew up around these areas, um, such as veterinary clinics or even, in some cases, um, shelters. There, there's really not a lot of these services at this point. And we try to um, to bring the pieces together, so to speak, and back to filling the gap and make this it possible for our communities to have that access for their pets.
0: Yeah, I think that's, you know, that's really, really important um, to make sure that 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 is available for those in the community uh, in your surrounding location as well. Um, so, in addition to besides the services, right, which which is a challenge for you guys, are there any other challenges uh, in your community um, that you're encountering, or is the services the the main piece?
1: Uh, no, absolutely not. Services are uh, well for us; they're a tool. Um, We have to uh, serve our community's pets. But we also have to um, fill in gaps around laws, regulations, and leadership in taking care of animals. Um, Because those pieces are also missing. Um, Our communities, in some some cases, are where our municipalities were 60, 70 years ago, and that they don't have animal control. I know there are very few tribal um, nations that have animal control. Um, And if they do, it might be one officer serving hundreds and hundreds of miles of a reservation. So in view of that, we also try to help our communities set up these systems, um, learn how to implement animal control, um, develop laws around animal care and guardianship um, around, you know, so that there is some kind of foundation within the community that outside communities already have. Because another thing that is important to know about tribes is that they are sovereign nations, which means that they have their own police force. Um, they have their own social services, they have their own agencies, they have their own courts. Um, they are self-contained and self-governed uh, entities. So I'm not sure if everybody knows that. So again, it's, more, it's working, our, we see our work as helping them uh, develop their own systems for animal control, animal care, animal sheltering.
0: Yeah, I can definitely see how that has um, how that has its own challenges. Uh, it's almost like starting it from is. scratch, uh, essentially. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that. And so, where where did you guys start with that? And tell us where you're currently at, and what does that future look like for building those
1: relationships uh, with your leadership? So, uh, we are working on. Um... Creating model regulations, a model code, so to speak, so uh, tribes can look at that, uh, have an idea of what some of the um, the the better animal laws that they their communities might need, like you know you the basic laws that um that that we all have in the outside communities, right? You can't leave your dog out without food and water. Some of that stuff is not written into any of our codes. So we're trying to create um, easy to follow and implement um, models that they can choose from if they so so choose. Because again, they're sovereign. They make their own laws. They make their own um, governments. And we, we just want to be a resource for them. They're going to have questions. They're going to have um, needs. We want to be able to be that person where um, they, you know, I had someone call me, We uh, Animal Control, one of the few communities of Animal Control call me and said, do you have a PowerPoint on, on that I can give to the kids to talk about how to um, avoid dog bites? Because so many of the materials that are already out there, there's a lot of materials for, um, Animal advocacy out there, but a lot of them don't necessarily apply to our communities at this point. So we try to to make you know try to craft them so that that uh, um, from our own sense of you know being native and living on reservations, what what does that community need? What does that look like? And and also. Get feedback from the communities. What really do you need? How do you see this progressing? If you're interested in doing an animal care program, or um, you know, changing your community governance on how animals are treated within the community, so it it, it's very complicated. There's many layers, and uh, it it, it's not as straightforward as um, as going in and offering vet services. It really has uh, quite quite the many layers of onion wow. skin that we have to peel yeah. off.
0: Yeah, it definitely does. So I know that you're in, in Minnesota. Do you have other branches or do you have other volunteers in other states? How does, that, how does that cross the country? Do you have anything set up like that? Is it something that you're looking at doing in the future?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, like, as I mentioned, we're working in uh, uh, New Mexico with the Pueblo of Laguna. We work in Minnesota with tribes there. Um, we have a representative there from the, our organization, Mary Chen Rasmi, who works with the uh, Minnesota tribes. Um, we recently set up a collaboration in northern San Diego County with a partner organization which is SNAP, uh San Diego SNAP spay-neuter, and they um, bring their mobile spay-neuter Uh, vehicle out to eight reservations in San Diego and we're expanding their reach too um, because there there's 29 tribes in San Diego County alone so again it goes back to you know trying to find and leverage as many resources as we can existing resources um, bootstrapping on another system to and then bridging that um, with the tribe we're, talking to, um, we're also trying to uh, get a partnership set up in uh, Northern California um, with some of the animal groups there and the Mendocino County Animal Shelter. Uh, we're working're we're working there are communities across the country that are asking for our help. so we're working to compile as many resources as we can around it.
0: Yeah, that's pretty amazing, the reach that you guys have already in in four years. Um, now, I know you started the organization. Are there are, Do you have a, a team that works with you? Or do you have volunteers? If somebody wanted to get involved, either in Minnesota or in one of these other states, or maybe a state you haven't reached yet, how, how do they get involved? Are you looking for people? Tell us a little bit more about how listeners can help you with your mission.
1: Absolutely. Well, we're always looking for volunteers. Um... It would be, uh, in some cases, it would be virtual. Um, we could always use help raising awareness about our mission and our work, and we we also, if we're having an animal um, care event, uh, we could use volunteers for that also. So I, I would just suggest that they would contact us and let us know what they're interested in doing. Um, we. We, we have a lot of work to do, so every hand is welcome. It's just uh, trying to figure out how to best use that hand.
0: <laughs> yeah, of course. Volunteers are a, are a huge piece, uh, it sounds like, to what you're doing and, and in animal rescue in, in general. And so if anybody's interested, we definitely encourage them uh, to reach out to you guys. And we'll make sure we put your website um, along with the, the podcast recording. So we'll make sure to share Absolutely.
1: that. Absolutely. Thank you. Um,
0: well, it's definitely definitely great work, and we always like to hear the heartwarming stories. Um, and I'm sure you have a couple that come to mind uh, in your four years. I know you shared one with us um, from your trip in the beginning. Do you have any others that you want to share with us?
1: We, As I mentioned, we, we work in uh, the Pueblo of Laguna in New Mexico, and um, at the clinic, um, We see cats, dogs, we've even seen horses. (laughs) So people get, um, the community has really embraced the clinic. So when they come, everybody gets excited. People um, will cook up tamales and um, all the local green chili, all the good stuff that uh, New Mexico is known for, especially the Pueblos. And they'll serve it to our volunteers. And um, we had a little young gentleman um, his name was Aiden and he the story is that he was telling his mother that he goes you know I have this little cat Daisy and she is a little orange cat right and uh, he said I love my cat so I really am gonna you know take good care of her so I want to bring her to the clinic when uh, when NHS comes to town and um, I really appreciate what they're doing. So I want to give them some money as a donation. So mom, can you help me and uh, mother said, Well, if you take out the trash, um, how about I give you some money? If you do these chores? How about I give give you some money? So (laughs) so when he when it came time for the clinic, Aiden brought his money and he walked over he put the money in the donation envelope, it was a big deal for him. And he brought Daisy in. she got she got her uh, examination, and then she went through to get uh, spayed and neutered, and it was funny because uh, one of the vets there uh, said, can you go get Aiden? Oh, no. <laughs> and so they brought Aiden over, and they go, well, we don't want to tell you this, Aiden, but Daisy really is Duke. <laughs> oh, no. Oh,
0: that's too so, you cute. Know,
1: I know. It was so cute, but the cutest part was, you know, how much he wanted this young man wanted to give back to um for the work that we are doing in helping their community pets and and that's one thing too that i want to talk about um is that these people really love their animals i think sometimes there's a perception that if you don't you know brush your dog's teeth or you leave your dog you know, outside, or, or different things that are common, you know, generally accepted, dominant culture, um, care of animals, um, uh, perceives as good guardianship. Um, but that might not be the case in some of our communities where it's still accepted to let dogs, you know, have outside dogs, and my grandparents had outside dogs, and that that's a changing behavior, definitely. But the point is, that they still love their animals and they still want the best care for them and they still um, really want to you know to, to like I said take care of them but also consider them part of the family so yeah,
0: yeah definitely perception is is one of those tricky pieces right it's it's a little different for, yeah. for each person and it's different for different groups of people and and you know that's something that changes over time and hopefully we're making, um, progress in the right direction. Um, and I think what you're doing and, and talking to people and, and this podcast, right, we can, we can start to share that and, and reach a broader audience. So I definitely appreciate that message.
1: Right, right. Thank you so much. And and really that's why I was impressed with, um, the work you're doing is, is because, um, there are common things that we all face doing this work and unless we get it out in the open and talk about it and share and collaborate, um, I, I think we do each other a disservice. And there, sometimes I've run across in animal welfare and animal advocacy some, um, some not-too-nice behaviors when really we're all after the same thing, and that's to help the animals. And if we work together, um, I always like to say that um, a single twig can be broken, but the bundle of twigs is strong. Yes. So we, we can do this and we can help more animals if we work together. So by bringing us together, you're doing a great thing.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you. And that's a, that's a great analogy. Um, one we'll probably hang on to and and quote you on. So, um, I've really enjoyed our our time together, Diana. I want to really quick talk about what the future holds for you guys. Um, do you have any upcoming events? Are you working on anything special that, that
1: you want to tell the listening audience about? Um, so uh, we, uh, one of the things that we talk about a lot when we do our work and um, when we talk to communities is the link between human violence and animal abuse. Um, By the nature of how isolated our tribal communities have been for the past um, 200, 300, 400 years, um, we suffer disproportionately from violence and um, other social challenges. um, For many reasons, actually, and so when I go to a community and talk about this link, um, if there's a neglected dog or an abused cat or horse or um, livestock, which we, we have a lot of um, people with livestock in our communities, that this is an indicator to, um, to our law enforcement and social service agencies um, that there is something else going on in the home. So to that end, we've recently completed a 40-page publication on the link uh, that is geared just towards tribal communities that, um, that addresses some of the uh, legal jurisdictional challenges and the complex, complex situations of being sovereign nations. So that's coming out um, shortly, and um, we're very happy that we'll be able to bring that to more communities and share across the country.
0: Yeah, that must have been some project to, uh, to put that together. Once that comes out, is that something that you'll be displaying on your website? Or how can people get a hold of that if they're interested?
1: Yes, absolutely. It'll be available for download on the website. Um, and we will have some printed copies available if you contact us. Um, we work closely with Phil Arco from the National Link Coalition, and he'll be sending out information about the publication also to his, um, to his newsletter readers.
0: Okay, that's fantastic. I I did want to ask about one other thing here. Sure. It looks like you guys are working on setting up a wildlife rehabilitation center. Do you want to quickly talk about that and what that looks like or what that will look like?
1: So, again, it's uh, not an actual brick and mortar facility because we, again, we want to make sure to leverage. the information and resources as widely as we can. So what we're doing is putting together uh, tribal eagle, aviary, and feather repository facility guidance so tribes, our tribal communities, will have um, uh, guidelines and a map to creating their own, um, starting with eagle eagle and wildlife uh, birds, birds of prey, uh, to have a facility to take care of them. Um, And then we're building in additional information about wildlife rehabilitation. So we're hoping that the initial interest is focused on um, eagle feathers because that's a a, a very important cultural um, item for most of our communities, but we're hoping that underneath that comes up the the general wildlife rehabilitation needs for our communities because they are great. Yeah. Uh, so it it would be a wonderful thing if tribes took this on and created their own wildlife rehabilitation centers on site because it, another thing that tags on to that which is always in the core of our mission is providing opportunities for the community also. This is opportunity for our young people to, to be wildlife biologists and work at this facility or become veterinarians or become vet techs or any type of uh, uh, medical scientist um, type occupations where um, they can better themselves, better their community, and have a place to go back to after they finish finished their schooling. They can go back to their reservation and work at these centers.
0: Yeah, that's a great way to encourage uh, the youth and the upcoming generation. So I, I certainly hope that more people get involved and and connect with you to see how they can help. Um, oh, I, wa- I want to make sure that the listeners have contact information for you. Do you want to share a couple of the different ways that that they can get in touch with you.
1: Sure, our website is nativeamericahumane.org. Uh they can also email me at diana d i a n a at nativeamericahumane.org. Uh and we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram. Uh we don't do Snapchat yet and very rarely on Twitter, but <laughs> Okay.
0: Hey, those are three but. very good channels. So again, we'll put that contact information along with your podcast and uh, we'll encourage people to check you guys out uh, and then reach out to see how they can help. Um, so as we wrap things up, uh, is there anything else that we may have forgotten or you want to mention to the listeners out there?
1: Uh, I, I would just go back to the, um, the opportunities for our communities with animals, um, with animal related uh, entrepreneurship or um, building of facilities or even just uh, workforce development in um, in these fields where, as I was saying, there is a critical gap and need for uh, for services. We need to, to look at building our own workforce to do this because um, it, it just makes it more sustainable if we have people from within our communities to um, to be doing the work. So, again, another focus of ours is to make sure that our communities understand and have access to what's needed for, for their own animal population management and um, uh, any type of programs around that.
0: Yeah, that's great. Well, Diana, I really thank you for your time today, and, and uh, I learned a lot, and I'm sure our listeners will learn a lot as well. So thank you again for being on the show today.
1: Thanks so much, Rachel. Keep up the good work.
0: Thank you. Thanks for tuning into today's podcast. If you're not already a member, join the ARPA to take advantage of all the resources we have to offer. And don't forget to sign up with dubert.com. It's free and helps automate the most difficult tasks in animal rescue.